everyone, I'm Yumi Kendall. And I'm Joseph Conyers. And welcome to Tacit No More, a podcast where we are no longer silent. Asking the questions that need to be asked and saying the things that need to be said about classical music. Tacit No More is an optimist's playground and landing pad for positive discussions about our belief in the power of music to better humanity. And we will invite voices from all sectors to inspire us in the work we do on and off the stage. Joe and I have been friends for nearly 25 years and have over 40 years between us as professional musicians. We've had the best of conversations. Would you join us? Hey, welcome back everyone for the last episode of season one of Tacit No More. Can you believe it? Where did all the time go? (laughs) Where did it go? Uh, It's been an amazing ride speaking to such amazing people, inspirational Forward thinking, um, with a lot of room for reflectivity on our end. Yeah, that's absolutely. for sure. Well, before we dive into that, um, why don't we just go into one good thing? Sure. Okay. Um, so by now, those of you who've been listening, this is what we do each episode to center us as we start our conversation. This is an activity that brings connection and openness, and it orients us to the positive. And it's like a flashlight shining in a dark room, and what we see. What we pay attention to is what we experience. So we want to ask ourselves and invite you, our listeners, to also think about that as well. What is something meaningful? What is something that you were grateful for recently? Um, So actually very recently, my one good thing is from today. And I had a particularly really good practice session. This doesn't happen all the time, right? We just have to push through the bad days. But when I have a good day, like my fingers felt great against the the fingerboard, like the texture of the strings felt good. My bow felt great. Like the cello was happy because the the weather is great. And so everything just aligned really, really well. And my focus was right on. And I just, I was really, I was really grateful for when the really, really good practice sessions happen. I love that. You have the best good things. (laughs) They're small. They're like, they're like everyday things, but that's what the moments... Those moments are for it's me. It's so good. I think my life What's is yours? too mundane to have any special moments like that. <laughs> What's uh, yours? <laughs> I would say today, as we were reviewing um, the season, and I made a reference to this journal that I mm-hmm. took. And this journal was because Todd Sieber of the Boston Symphony ran and still runs the double bass workshop at the Boston University Tanglewood Institute. And he encouraged us to keep journals, not for the sake of just personal, like a diary, but just to to document how we felt, our progress, master classes, that kind of thing. And that's what I started using. I used to also document just my time in life and uh, in looking for uh, finding the name of the shop of the uh, oh. restaurant, um, Harold's. Oh my God! That <laughs> that's the, the name! That in Yeah. Oh my God! Like the most American eatery... <laughs> Around here, hamburgers, fries, and stuff like that. Wait, full circle, back to where for, yeah, that's, that's totally where it was. Absolutely. Um, I was reading deeply into the mind of this 18-year-old kid who had just started this adventure in music. And I couldn't stop reading. It actually ate up a lot of my time this morning because uh, I was just so intrigued. I hadn't read it in quite some time. But the good thing is, it goes to relatability. Something I talk to my students now about and something that it's nice to be reminded of about how we thought 
as freshmen in college. We I mean we weren't even freshmen. Or even, we were, yeah. <laughs> uh, but all the fear, all the anxiety, all the belonging, uncertainty, being in a space where I felt like someone made a mistake and I'm not supposed to be here. Imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome. It was all there, Yumi. And I was like, have I made the wrong choice? Uh, I'm so overwhelmed by the talent I'm surrounded by. And it was neat to see my thought process because it's not, well, that doesn't sound like someone with the blood type B positive. <laughs> <laughs> but I would have these, these little spats and then I would read a little further and it would always be like a few hours later, it's like, you know what, I'm going to work. I'm going to work as hard as I can and I'm going to try and I'm going to do and and I'm the sky's the limit. Let's let's do this. I'm going to college. Wow. And so it was just watching that that journey and then knowing, I mean, literally, oh my gosh, 25-ish years later um, to, see, to see. So that one good thing led to just a, a moment of self-reflection and gratitude for um, the life I've been able to live as a musician. Wow, what a great example of, I mean, there's so many things in that. What a great example of being your own cheerleader, like yeah. being your own best friend, like walking yourself through the lows and cheering yourself through them to get, pull ourselves up again yeah. out of the trenches to keep working to one foot forward. Um, and I think that's something we can, many of us can relate to and thinking about our 18 to 17 year old selves and maybe some of you who are listening are going through the same thing that Joe yes. just described as his 17 18 year old self too the things we don't talk about it's like the name of this podcast yes. <laughs> tacit no more like we the things we don't to have that kind of anxiety um we always seem uh, particularly in our professions like if you show any hint of Fear or doubt or insecurity. The insecurity, then that's a weakness. But I think what it shows is that we're all human. And if we could actually have conversations in an open space to share how we are feeling, I think collectively it's therapy for all of us to be able to perform at a higher level in the future because we know we aren't alone, which I think is the worst part of, of the process is feeling that you're alone, feeling you're the only one with that experience, the only one with that background, the only one having these thoughts, um, but knowing that you, you're part of a family of folks who have the same thoughts means that we can support each other, even with a, as simple as a smile across the stage. Yes. That kind of thing. It's, yes. it's, it's, yeah, it's great. Well, hence our podcast, and here we are doing that <laughs> as, as teammates um, to go through those times together and have that space, and hopefully all of you listening too, that you have a chance to feel heard. And we'd also love to hear from you um, about what you've been hearing this first season as well. So please feel free to uh, send us an email or Instagram us about some of your thoughts. It's funny you should mention that because one of the questions we did receive was, like, why did we start this? And I think... I mean, the it's basically in the title of the podcast by itself on the why, but let's, I feel like we can spend a little time just talking about why, particularly after now that we've done a whole season and spoken with so many fantastic people, I think it will help, it, it informs our why. We hit the nail on the head in, in a former episode when we also just said hitting record on the conversations yeah. that we've already been having um, and wanting to invite the space to be open. Yes. Um, and those conversations that we were having for so many years were about 
kind of the journal entries type of thinking yeah. that you mentioned. And I also kept a journal. I have an entire cardboard box of journals from when I was in fifth grade <laughs> all the way up to um, when I was about 22, wow. 23. And um, every day... And I remember tracking my hand. I mean, it was everything from like the actual joy of writing pen to paper Mm -hmm. to writing down the thoughts, vulnerabilities, fears, anxieties, and giving myself courage to push similar, similar things. Although I did not write down the name of the pub. (laughs) (laughs) I still can't believe I had that. I mean, Harold's. Alan ran Harold's. His name was Alan, but Harold's was named the place. Yeah, crazy. Yes. And... Yeah, so, I mean, for me, opening up, it's kind of like opening up the floor. Mm -hmm. And for us to be modeling the kind of conversations that we want to also be having with other other folks in this trusted space. Yes. Um, I think there's some topics that we want to dive into that would be really valuable to, you know, hit record on. Right. Um, And, yeah, well, what what are your general thoughts on that? No, I, I would say when I think about speaking with Catherine Needleman, uh, I made this observation, uh, I think it was in our the review when we were just talking after her very powerful appearance on the show. And that was the fact that we were even talking about this felt weird. Yeah. And the fact that it feels weird is the problem. Yes. Right. You mean starting this venture, there's a little bit of anxiety in me. Starting. Just starting it. Yeah, I'm scared. Because the title, Tacit But More, can come off as something like, oh, oh, saying the thing that you said, asking the questions that need to be asked. Um, Like, it could sound like, oh, we're coming after the field in some aggressive form, when actually all we're doing is just talking about what's on our minds. But in a space where it doesn't feel like we will be judged or ridiculed for it. And I think the fact that there is any sort of anxiety on my end for even having being being part of this or having these conversations is indicative of maybe some of the institutional, I'd say problems, the fact that folks don't necessarily feel like they have a voice. And I don't think this is related just to classical music. I think this is probably a systemic issue just throughout society. It may be a human experience a human of experience. feeling unheard. That is correct. And so instead of feeling anxious about what we're doing, again, here goes that, that positive, <laughs> be positive. It's almost like now I'm excited about giving voice to some thoughts that I might be the only one that has them, but I have, I have a sneaking suspicion that... Being able to think outside the box about the work that we do and love so much is not limited to just us. Yes, I agree. Beautifully said. And I actually think in reflecting about our, on our first season, the guests that we've been so fortunate to have, we've seen and heard and, sh- and share some themes. Yes. You know, Vijay's incredible work, The Street Symphony, Catherine's courageous efforts in paving the way to make it easier for the next generation. And Karen's Karen-ness. 
saying the things that need to be said. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and from the students as well, I mean, there's a theme that of service, mm. actually, of giving. Yes. That I would love to discuss with you because that word service has so many definitions and contexts. Yes. And when I think of service, there's, you know, there's an orchestra service. That's right. a that's a rehearsal or a concert or anything that we show up to work for and we get to play our instruments together and we get to play concerts. Like this is that's just that's a word for it. That's a vocabulary industry word. Um, and when I also think of service, I think of community service, which is about giving to somebody else or another entity and a contribution of, of help, of assistance. And, I mean, those are just two separate examples of service. What would that mean to you? Everyone we spoke to this season had that instilled in them. Uh, and the service I'm thinking about is not an orchestral service or anything like that, but literally this act that is inspired by something. Germinates? It germinates from something else. That's the service that I recognize the most with our guests. Um, germinates from something else and is born out of something else. Mm -hmm. It's something that is so deeply entrenched that the inspiration that it can produce provides the fuel to keep going. Yeah. So this weird longitudinal active process that kind of that is infinite <laughs> uh, um, in in its length or path or longevity. So thinking more more deeply about that, what is that thing that inspires that piece? And um, well, I have a question for you. Yeah. Where where does this come from for you? Sure. Is that okay to ask? Absolutely. Okay. Well, so for me, I I tell the story often because of so much of my core. Uh, growing up, and that is, I grew up very heavily part of the church. The church family was a major part of my life, my family's life. We were there almost every day of the week. Our church was situated between two housing projects in Savannah, uh, where all we did as a community was be thankful for what we had, while at the same time looking for ways to provide service or opportunities for others. Mm -hmm. That could be directly through food mm -hmm. and feeding mm -hmm. the community, or it could be through spiritual nourishment mm -hmm. to give people hope in a world where it could feel hopeless. It could be, I mean, everything from health services to all of it, all of these things were being provided. And my point is, it was normal to me the fact that you have a group of people who, again, are blessed with things. We have these things. How can we then use them to be a blessing to someone else? Yes. That is the core of my upbringing. And so I guess like any young person, when you grow up in that space, when I go off, went off into the world, I just assumed that's what everyone thought. <laughs> Because that was, that was my life experience, and that was my lived experience. Only to find out that it's not, <laughs> unfortunately, the way a lot of people think. However, it's something that's so embedded in me that despite any kind of resistance or hesitation to my want to be of service, 
I have to fight through. There's, there's no alternative. Um, and so that was my inspiration. And it's only grown since. But when you were asking, like, what was the, the core, the origin? And my origin story is, was definitely the church and, and growing up in an environment where everyone was just trying to help each other. That's such a powerful example of how our childhood um, environment influences who we become. And when it's a positive one, like what you've experienced, you're around and you're surrounded by family and friends with a giving spirit. Mm -hmm. And you see that day in, day out. And that's such a powerful example of that, how, how important our environmental yes. factors are. What about and, you? Uh, for, for me, actually very, very similar, not through church, but through uh, Waldorf and Suzuki mm -hmm. and my family. Everything was about community and uh, shared experiences. And I even remember our family, my, we had the like very rundown van again. And <laughs> we only had used cars growing up. And I was always like, I couldn't make it to multiple lessons because it would fall apart on the side of the road and this and that. But not fall apart. It wasn't dangerous. <laughs> but like somebody would have to come pick us up. But, um, <laughs> but we started a recycling program in our mm. neighborhood before the city and the state implemented. Like we, we hand delivered all the flyers. Dad took out the middle seat of the van again. And we told people when we were going to go pick up. And Nicholas and I were like going and picking up all the bags on the designated day and loading them into the van. And we went to the local recycling center. Yeah. And for like every, you know, five pounds of recycled stuff, you, we got like a, a nickel. <laughs> 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 like, well, this is like better than my allowance. <laughs> what? But we were doing something for the community and right. the earth, of course. Yes. That was just one one summer. And and then in Waldorf, I remember distinctly many times going to like Roosevelt Island in the P Potomac River with our trash bags and with the gloves. And the whole class, we'd spend the day on Roosevelt Island picking up trash. And it was fun. Yeah. All of these things were fun to do because not steeped in shame. Look at this trash. Never do we were just picking up, and I got to talk with Liz and Glenda. Like, we would chat and picking up, and it was just part of something you do. You you help make things better, and you help clean up the earth, and you get to hang out with your friends, and this is cool, and isn't that great? And and it was just a part of a fun communal experience, a shared experience for a shared goal. Yes. But that wasn't even deliberate. I mean, maybe it was in a botany class or something. Maybe it was in biology, but... It wasn't a, um, like, scolding or anything. It right. was just a fun experience. We got to go clean up, and the, and that was that. I mean, we had four family get-togethers, um, four families f from each of the Suzuki, from the teacher's studios, okay. of friends. It was Jennifer Kane, Bielostowski's, <laughs> Freivogel's, and us Kendall's. And all of us would convene once a month on one of our homes for a potluck dinner, like a Saturday afternoon or a Sunday afternoon. And then after dinner, I have distinct memories of under the dining room table with pen and paper and creating the program for the evening. Like, okay, well... I'm doing the swan, Jay's doing Fioco Allegro, Nicholas is doing Scythe, or whoever is doing, and Ben Freivogel is doing hide and see. <laughs> and so, but we made programs and learning how to, and figuring out how to arrange everything in the program so that we could then play for our parents who were sitting in a living room to receive the music. Right. So this is, this is a powerful memory for me because it's something that we co-designed and, and then we had dessert after the performance. <laughs> the most important part. 
But, you know, we all... Right, right, right. If there is a reward. So this is not an example of intrinsic motivation at all. <laughs> Extrinsically motivated by dessert. <laughs> but I love this example because it taught me how to program. Like, I'm not a programmer, right. but it taught me, and we've talked about this, um, about how to create something for other people and that sort of agency right. and how do we do this? Oh, let's do it together. Oh, it's fun. Right. Oh, we get dessert. Right. But so when I think about the, I mean, these are just some examples of the over time experiences and values that I feel are a deep part of my, my identity is how can I help? What can I do? And what can I do joining the people around me who feel similarly with a shared goal. Right. And that's what I love about a kindred spirit with you, with our guests, right. with and inviting our listeners to start thinking about this too, because I think this is, I, I often feel alone. Mm-hmm. I feel so alone sometimes when I've been doing initiatives in various settings that... Anyway, no, they, I, they I, feel you. I feel you. I feel you. I feel you. I'm right there with you. No, absolutely. And I, I think the way you talked about community is very much like the community that I had. Very different. Mm-hmm. However, I think what makes it special is the fact that that shared community had the same value system. Yes. And it was those values that was our, our North Star. Those values guided who we were and who we are, yes. <laughs> um, the connections we made with ourselves, but also with our community. And it's that value system that is that fuel yeah. I was talking about earlier yeah. that th- to fuel the service. Yes. Yeah. And what's so powerful about that is you feel like you were a co-creator in that. You were involved right. in the process of the act of service, but you're also participating in bringing to life the values. Right. You're participating in that. So it feels like you, there's like a sense of ownership over right. those values. They become a part of you deeply embedded in, in who we are now. Right. You're watered and you grow sunshine. It's like, <laughs> it's like emotional photosynthesis or something. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Emotional sunshine. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, hearing your powerful sort of values origin story through church and the sense of community. What are, so what, what should we start naming our, like what, <laughs> what are those values then? Like, do we want to go, do we want to try? Oof. I mean, I don't know if I've ever thought about that deeply. So it's easy stuff. It's like golden rule, easy stuff. Mm-hmm. Do unto others <laughs> um, as you would have them do unto you. Like it's, it's, it's that. Another value is, if I've been blessed with something, how can I be a blessing to someone else? That's just at the core. And that, I mean, honestly, that that covers a lot of, of yes. it for me. Yeah. <laughs> is it, if if, if um, uh, it's almost like the saying was, "To whom much is given, much is expected," mm-hmm. which is a little bit more academic. It's a little less but it's feel goody. <laughs> mm-hmm. But it's the same same concept. Uh, I, I think about. I think about the longevity of values and value systems, and it has me thinking crazy thoughts, like how, how that has existed over time. 
I mean, and I, I've hinted, I hinted, I said this before, I think in our, our the first episode, and, and that I'm not here on my own. I'm here because people poured yes. themselves into something. They didn't know what it, what they were, what the goal would be. They they didn't necessarily see the end goal, but they were pouring themselves into something to make it better for someone else. Mm-hmm. They would never know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a beautiful way to think of the world. It reminds me of the conversation we had with Karen, saying, "Well, we see the end result." Is the, the question isn't will we see the end result? Will we have done everything in our power to make sure that the end result, wherever that is, is better than where we are now? Right. That's, pro- that's what progress is, yes. is what is my contribution towards a better future? Yes. Or an, a set of greater opportunities for folks I may never, ever meet right. and will never know and who, who they, they, don't, they do not need to know my name. Right. And how can I help towards that shared progress? What about what about any specific, or is it similar? I mean, it's, that's kind of hard to name. You put me on the spot there. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, hard no, to name I, the I, values. I mean, I think this is this can evolve too. Yes. Um, I think in, this can just be the beginning. Um, and again, maybe it would be good to hear from our audience too. And I'll go ahead and and uh, try to address this. Um, I don't think the word fun is right, <laughs> but there's something engaging. Mm about myself like I want to make sure I'm there so we're not just talking about an end goal like if I'm doing something for another person I shouldn't like bleed my cut off my hand like right. you know I shouldn't it, I should still have myself as a fuller person and not burning out because I'm doing something for other people it's it's what Adam Grant called otherish behavior meaning okay. the oxygen mask kind of thing sure. where I'm still taking care of myself and the people around me in whatever opportunities or in whatever particular skills I may have. My neighbor, my elderly neighbors need their plants watered. I do that at the same time I do my yard. Right. It's just right there. Right. And she comes out and she says, oh, thank you. You know, it's, it's not transactional. I'm not expecting right. her to check. I just do it because it's the right thing to do. Right. And her, her husband, even though he's, he's handicapped, he brings up the recycling bins. Like, it's just so thoughtful. All right. You know, that's it's just neighbors looking out for each other. Right. And that's a small act of service, yes. but it is very meaningful because it means I feel like I can trust them. They're looking out for me and vice versa. Um, but what I mean by fun is like, I feel engaged. I feel it's something positive <laughs> um, and that I, it makes me feel good. But more importantly, I've, I hope that it's helping in some way the person it's directed to right. <laughs> um, or the effort. Um, but there's something about the element of fun or engaging that I think is important because if you're not enjoying helping or in being engaged in that, then it, so I, I, I kind of, I don't really quite know the answer to that, but I want to address that part of giving or service. I know I, that's great. Actually, you made me think of music in that way. When doing a performance, are we giving a performance to receive or are we giving? I felt like when I started doing well in auditions is when I wasn't doing it for the people behind the screen. I wasn't even doing it for my teacher. (laughs) I was actually, it was almost like that moment was a culmination of all the work I had done to that point. And I had the opportunity to share that. Yes. Yep. With a committee. Yeah. In which it, case, it was a gift. Yes. Like, 
Christmas morning. Yeah. Or Hanukkah <laughs> evenings. <Yeah. laughs> uh, but like, it's, I, I, I have a gift to give. In which case, giving gifts is fun. It's fun. It's challenging, or it can be challenging in right. the case of taking an audition. But Correct. But the effort is in there, and you're in the flow. You're basically describing like a flow zone yes. of the, where the effort and the challenge are. You can you can yeah. match them, and yeah, that's a great point. I, I was gonna like go down memory <laughs> lane of my audition, and I remember who in my mind I was mm-hmm. playing for, playing for folks in my mind who make me feel good, who aren't judged. Yeah. You know, they're there to receive. It's so funny you say. It. Actually, back in the days when the screen came down all the time, because every audition I took was always the screen came down, particularly back then, I would actually find someone on the committee. Mm-hmm. And I could just tell, like, if, did I connect with that person? I would look and see a smile. I still remember specifically, like, mm-hmm. Indianapolis finals and seeing this, seeing a person in the audience and playing for, for her. Yeah, playing for her just by, by the, her countenance. Yeah. And I, that just felt, then I was able to give. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. This... Um, this is a technique that I oh. I do in every concert, is I pick a person yeah. to play for. Yeah. And I, I spot the individual, especially <laughs> if I know a friend or somebody I know is in the audience. Right. And they'll know, if you're listening to this, I always text, like, where are you sitting? <laughs> because if I know where they're sitting in the hall, even if I can't see them, that's my like general direction of love. Right. being right. Musical love being sent in that general direction, <laughs> even if the FLs are pointing the other way. Like... I'm sending energy towards a particular person right. if I know that they're there. And if I don't know anybody there, I pick yeah. an un- unsuspecting <laughs> victim, an unsuspecting recipient of my musical love. <laughs> and that's how I make that musical connection. And that is how I, when I play a concert, that becomes an act of service. Yes, yes. And that, maybe that's the connection between those where I started at the beginning with the words of, like, orchestra service. But when there's an audience there, that's where I tap into that connection. And I pick, I, I play for somebody. And they're going to listen there, and they're going to receive that music. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I mean, whew. we talked about it on a, a, a micro level. What is it like on a macro level? We've been talking individually. What about collectively? Do the institutions that we're involved with, regardless of whether they're music-related or not, do they have a value system? How does that value system permeate within the institution? If it does. If it does, to feed the type of service that that organization wants to do. That's my question. Mm -hmm. Answer it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you got the degree. And <laughs> Welcome to season 2. <laughs> well, I mean, I was thinking about this question because I don't actually want to answer that. I think we want to hear from yes, more folks. But I do think that like bees to pollen, I want I want us as institutions first of all to be attracting and hiring musicians who share these values. I'm not saying mm. that they already don't. Right. I'm, I know that we have many colleagues who feel similarly yes. throughout the industry. Yes. It would be great to 
have a value system, whatever that may be, and we're still figuring out ours. Yes. Right? We're I mean, we talked about one good thing. We want open we're openness and and optimism generally as our as a base foundation. <laughs> no pun intended. As a cello foundation, <laughs> then, okay. Um, who have intrinsically motivated people in their value system. And then what if we are able to create a like beast upon analogize even further, a garden, <laughs> an ecosystem where one who is intrinsically motivated, meaning for no other reason than the enjoyment of the act itself, um, where that, those kinds of acts of service or contribution stuff, those are welcomed and appreciated. Yes. And again, not at the expense of the performance excellence on stage, and not at the expense of anything else that makes playing music together so <laughs> awesome because I love getting to perform yep. at such a high level. Like that, that's a treasure. Always having that top of mind. And mm-hmm. being in environments in a garden of like-minded souls who want to give and make our world even better whatever that might mean. Yeah. And I feel like, so in positive psychology, there's something called person activity fit, which is something that Sonia Lubomirsky has written about in her books. But it's basically if, after you take a survey and you uncover your, your own favorite types of activities or what they're called positive interventions, like one good thing activity, like the, our one good thing exercise that we do, right. what is something small but meaningful that you personally relate to. Um, you might create a portfolio. You might have a particular resonance with the emotion or the, the feeling of gratitude. Some people um, actually have a, a deep connection with a meditative, more content, like a serene state in terms of emotional, you know, not, it's not about being happy or no. joyful. <laughs> it's um, whatever state of being you feel like you're most yourself. And it's not just on an emotional level, there are activities that we can do. What, what would it be like if we as musicians were able to cultivate and create and implement our own best selves in an act of service? Mm. What would that look like? So you're not required to do something. Right. You're not supposed to do the same thing as X other person. Right. But what, Joe, makes you tick in this arena? And that's going to be different from the next person to the next person. What makes me tick? You know, I just mentioned my neighbors. Like, I, I'm in a new neighborhood recently, and I love being able to connect with them. That's not using my cello skills, but that's using my social skills right. in another way. And that's meaningful to me. And I wonder what our industry at large start to think about and eventually implement so that we have givers, like, so, like <laughs> people who are of service right. um, in their own way, in their own person activity fit kind of way. Correct. No, that's yeah, great. I love that you said that because I, I'm listening to you speak, of course, inspired. However... I start to get a, a little worried about folks who say, well, am I not enough? Does that make sense? And I, to your point, I think it definitely is a spectrum because we're all different and we live lives differently and our experiences are, are, are different. But I think when we think about the art form or what we're bringing 
to the art form um, as performers, the, the best analogy I can come up with is, I think like running. Running by itself is fantastic. There are people who do it for many more miles than I would ever imagine doing with my two feet. <laughs> I can never imagine, but apparently they hit this flow state and they can just go on and on and time ceases to exist and their body keeps moving for a ridiculously long amount of time over a, a long um, spance of earth. <laughs> Normally traveled by powered vehicles. Yes. Um, and that is everything to them. And I think that's amazing. And I think the only difference we might be saying in this conversation is appreciating that, honoring that, celebrating that, but then asking the question, what's the final destination? Where are our feet taking us? And I think the conversation about values is something that can then guide our feet to exactly where we want it's to like go. like our GPS. It's like our GPS. The values are our GPS on the marathon run. That's correct. And then what is at the end of the marathon run is what we create as our the active search. so it's like a con so so a concert is the marathon right. oh, but the applause is not we we are creating an experience when we play an amazing concert right. it's not because we're going to get applause or get a paycheck or something. it's because that collective experience is so powerful yes. that we all walk away like vj was saying we walk away changed yes from the most powerful performance experiences and I would say now as an expanded mindset from that, from VJ's conversation, yes. that lived shared experience, whether we define it as a performance, as in VJ's examples yes. of Street Symphony, but those lived shared experiences are the marathon. But when we walk out of that experience, we are changed in some way for the better. Yeah. With a deeper connection to ourselves or to the people we've shared that experience with, or to maybe to something beyond ourselves, but we feel changed yeah. for that. There's a transformation that has happened from that shared experience, and I think that's what we're tapping into with this idea of service. You mean more institutions are coming up with these values? I think academic institutions are coming with values that they're instilling into their students, conservatory and uh, otherwise. All of that's great. Can we see the change that we are celebrating here on this podcast? Can we see the change if the values that these institutions are speaking of are not expected of the folks mm -hmm. who join those institutions. Ding, 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 ding. Hmm. And with that, I think we can go on to season two. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, everyone. Well, don't worry. 
I know that was a, a long conversation, <laughs> um, but we are not going to rob you of the opportunity to name that tune. Uh, this is something we've been doing throughout the, the, the podcast. This will be the last one of the season. Uh, but as a reminder, we will be playing a quick segment of a piece of music. And if you think you know what it is, you can go and submit your answer via the question box in our Instagram stories. Our Instagram handle is that Tacit No More, or you could send us an email at info at tacitnomore.com. So are you ready? The last Name That Tune of the season. Here we go. Name That Tune. If you can, again, submit your answer via the question box in our Instagram stories or send us an email. And as a reminder, we will choose one winner to receive a jar of Joe's Jam. Joe's Jam is a wonderful uh, spiced pear jam, which all proceeds of the sales of that jam support my nonprofit organization, Project 440. We'll provide a link in the bio for those who don't win. We can only choose one. We're very, very sorry. But if you would like to purchase a jar, you can do so at the link. We'll provide that for you. Thanks so much for participating. Joe's jam is absolutely delicious. If you haven't had it, you got to try it. Thanks for listening, everybody. You can find us on Instagram at tacitnomore and email us at info at tacitnomore.com. Please share the show on social media and leave a rating and a review. Tacit No More is produced by Joseph Conyers, Yumi Kendall, Andrew Meller, and Lindsay Sheridan. Any views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not reflect any entities with which they are associated.